Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're considering the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, and Jesus covers a lot of ground in this message we call the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In this sermon, Jesus is going to instruct us as to how we should live, as to what we should do. But before He instructs us regarding what we should do, He instructs us on who we should be in this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, following after Jesus Christ. He aims at our heart, first of all, and uh, we learn about our character, what our character should be, because character always produces conduct. Jesus began His sermon with these upside-down truths we call the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude is a Latin word that means blessing, and the Greek word for blessing is translated best by our English word happy. So let's read through this. Let me read through this, and let me substitute the word happy for blessed. Verse 3, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Uh, Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons or children of God. And happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, to be sure, the word happy is different than the world's version of happy. In the world, we think external things make us happy. Our circumstances drive our sense of joy and our sense of contentment, but that's not what the word happy means here. In the world, uh, our in the world, our pens work or don't work. Uh, we have these things going on in our life. There's some great times and there's some, there's some tough times. And, and we think we're happy or we're content because of what's going on, right? We have a good day, we're happy. We have a bad day, not so happy. And so Jesus is saying, you can live a life. This new life I have for you, this new life in me is circumstance proof. And so it doesn't matter if you have a good day or a bad day. Certainly our emotions will be impacted by that. But, but you can sail through with the contentment, with, with the joy, with the happiness, regardless of what's going on in your life. These Beatitudes are in a way that is progressive. And so we see in chapter 5, verse 3, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. And we saw that word means poor, means beggar. Happy are those who realize they are spiritual beggars, nothing to bring to the table. Uh, they, they, they cannot earn their way to God. They cannot work their way to God. Now, you may be a person who thinks you can work your way to God, or you may be a person you've been taught you can work your way to God. Both are false. There is absolutely no way you can ever be good enough for God. We are spiritual beggars, and that's where Jesus starts. And the second thing is we mourn our sin. We don't like the fact that we can't get to God. We don't like the fact that our sin keeps us from God. Our sin makes us guilty. Our our sin brings conviction on us. And so we mourn that. We recognize the sin in our life. We own the sin in our life. No one's problem but our own. And we repent of the sin in our life. We turn from it. When we do that, 
Then there is something that follows called uh, meekness, gentleness, or humility. And, and that begins in our relationship with God, but it spills over into our relationship with others. So today, let's consider what Jesus means by meekness. Now, the world says, if you want something, what do you do? You go get it. And you get it with all the gusto you have. And if you have to step on people along the way to get it, you step on people along the way. Leave no prisoners behind. Doesn't matter if you're in business, education, medicine, whatever you're doing, you go get it. You have to demonstrate your confidence and you have to demonstrate your strength. In fact, you have to be, don't you, just a little bit cocky. You have to have a little edge to you. You have to own the room when you walk in. You have to meet the, the right people. You've got to work your way around your life where you're, you're meeting the right people because you have to drop strategic names in strategic places. You have to demonstrate your significance in what you drive. You're not going to pull up in a jalopy. What would people think of you? So what you drive is important. Where you live is important. And what you wear, it's important. You've got to show your power. You have to demonstrate that you are in charge. If you want something, you just go get it. That's what the world says. But Jesus, in these upside-down truths we call the Beatitudes, says, if you want to inherit like um, the whole earth, like everything, then happy are you if meekness describes your character. Now, the meekness Jesus is talking about here is not a natural quality. It's not a matter of temperament. Some kids are just terrors from the moment they breathe air, aren't they? <laughs> They're like painting graffiti in the womb and they come out with a cigar in one hand and a beer in the other, and it gets worse. It gets worse from there. And as parents, we wonder, how in the world did that happen? And some kids are just nice. When they're born and the doctor puts them on their mother, they just say, hey, I am so sorry for the pain I just caused you. I'll never do that again, never cause you any pain. They're just naturally nice, but, but temperament is not meekness. Meekness is not an easygoing personality. Some people just never get upset. Nothing riles them. They never get emotional. But personality is not meekness. And some people are just easy to get along with. They, they, just, uh, they, are, they just make peace wherever they go, and they never rock the boat. Tension or chaos drives them crazy. They work so that there's always peace, but but being amicable is not meekness. The meekness that Jesus is talking about is not natural. It is supernatural. It does not come from things without even our personality, our temperament. It comes from something within, and it is produced only when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Meekness is produced only by the Holy Spirit. Now, to be sure, meekness 
or humility, sometimes translated gentleness, is not in any way weak. Meekness is a character trait of a true believer who is willing to use whatever God gives him or her and willing to sacrifice whatever God asks. We could say it like this, meekness or gentleness or humility is best described as strength under control. Strength under control. So the Preakness was yesterday, right? And uh, was it the American Pharaoh? that won the Preakness, won the Kentucky Derby, and now the Preakness, and I don't know how many weeks, the Belmont Stakes to go for the Triple Crown. And when we watch a horse run, sometimes we say a horse is gentle. And that doesn't mean that the horse is weak. That means that the horse responds well to its trainer, responds well to its rider. There is this inherent strength harnessed within and brought under focused control so that when the jockey says it's time to go, that horse lets it out. Power under control. Strength under control. In the Bible, Moses in Numbers chapter 12 was said to be the most humble man that ever walked the earth. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. But you look at the life of Moses and that man was strong. He was able to go up against the most powerful man in the world at that time, Pharaoh, and confront him. Let my people go. He led a million people on a 40-year camping trip through the desert. Most of them were chronic whiners the whole time. Moses was a strong leader, and he was willing to submit to the direction of God even when he didn't want to. He demonstrated strength under control. Okay, three things about meekness. Number one, happy are the meek because they tackle the devastating disease of pride. Well, that's a killer, isn't it? Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Pride is what will keep many people from heaven. And pride is kind of like a coin, right? It's like it has two sides on it, heads and tails. The one side, the head side is arrogance. It's all about me, self-absorbed. I'm in charge. I'm the one. Look at me, arrogance. On the other side of the coin of pride is what? Insecurity. Both arrogance and insecurity are self-absorbed. Arrogance says... God, I don't need you. Insecurity says, God, you're not enough for me. For some unexplained reason, if you're a believer, for some unexplained reason, God reached down and he saved you. It wasn't because he needed you on his team. He was doing fine from eternity past before you were even born. But by his grace, he saved us. Remember, we're spiritual beggars. We can't do anything to gain that. He saved us by his grace. He looked down upon us. And he brought us to himself. And that wipes away arrogance, or should, to realize there's nothing in me that's good enough for God. And he brought me and he chose me and he saved me anyway, that should wipe away arrogance. It should also wipe away insecurity. 
Because now in Christ, we're what? A new creature. We're his workmanship created in him to do the good works that he called us to do. In Christ, we are safe with two S's. We are significant. We are secure. We are accepted. We are forgiven. We're empowered. We can be everything Jesus Christ wants us to be. We don't have to be a spiritual wallflower against the wall, never sharing the message of Christ, never speaking up for Him, silent all the time, a false humility sometimes, but a false humility can be just as much pride as the most cocky guy in the room. He has given us everything we need to do what He's calling us to do. Now, if you keep reminding, if we keep reminding ourselves of that truth, we can keep pride at bay. It's going to come back. It's going to rear its ugly head often in our lives. But we can keep it at bay. We, in our marriage, we don't always have to be right. We don't always have to be the smartest person in the room. We don't always have to have a story that one-ups everybody else. And maybe... Just maybe, if we deal with this insidious infection of pride, we can stop or not be judgmental. It's a big issue, isn't it, among Christians anywhere. See, we're a group of broken people. Jesus has already told us we're spiritual beggars. And a family of broken people, there's going to be some messiness going on. In case you didn't know it, let me tell you some, uh, some hard truths about our church here in the South Hills, Washington, Wilkinsburg, Robinson. Although it's not what we want it to be, we got a lot of people living in sin, sometimes blatant sin. There are many people among us struggling with doubt and even unbelief. And some, although God will never let them go, are this close in their own life of just throwing it out the window, going their own way. Some bring doctrinal error into our community. Now, we want to address those things. We want to deal with those things, but those, that's the reality, isn't it? We're a community with sin, unbelief, and doctrinal error. Does that shock anybody? People come in with those things. J.I. Packer in his book, Finishing the Course with Joy, says this. Listen to this. The pastoral letters in the New Testament all indicate, one way or another, that the church must expect to be consistently infected by misbelief as well as misbehavior. I'll read that again. The pastoral letters in the New Testament all indicate one way or another, that the church must expect to be consistently infected with either misbelief or misbehavior. 
You see, it's not the ideal, but that's the reality of community, and we have to, we have to deal with that. Now, meekness does not mean we refuse to address sin, unbelief, or doctrinal error. Meekness says this, I understand that I'm a spiritual beggar. I mourn my sin, and I realize that I must approach other people in sin with a sense of humility. I have to approach other people in sin. We can't go around saying, oh, so-and-so is over there sleeping around, so-and-so is over there doing that. If you know it, ball is in your court, Galatians chapter 6, you got to go talk to them. Now, pride says, I'm not going to go talk to them. I'm so spiritually superior, I'll let them wallow in their sin. I'll let them play by the side of the proverbial road. I'll let them get hit by the cars. It doesn't matter if they're in danger. That's their fault. That's their deal. Look at me. I'm above that. That's what pride says. That's what spiritual pride says. Insidious disease. Spiritual pride says, I got all the doctrine down. (laughs) It's below me to go talk to someone who's got some issues. Spiritual pride will suck the life out of a believer, out of a church. Meekness says, I am going to go interact with that person because where they are, that's where I was. And where they are, you know what? That's where, that's where I could be. I've only had one person, one person tell me he could never fall morally. And guess what? Because what pride goes before a fall. How many of you have heard of uh, Kirsten Powers? She's a writer and uh, she's on Fox News a lot. Uh, She usually promotes the liberal viewpoint. Well, she became a Christian uh, not long ago, and her uh, testimony is well documented. And she's written a book, and ChristianityToday.com interviewed her. And I want you to listen to what uh, uh, Kirsten Powers says. Listen to this. She said, I don't think it's true that you can't live with integrity as a Christian in the public square. Look, are you going to be the most popular person around? Probably not. By the way, if you're the most popular person around, that might be an indication of something. Okay, back to the quote. Sorry. Um, You're not going to be the most popular person? Probably not. Uh, Will some people think you're a weirdo? Yes. Listen to what she says. I don't have the right to expect people to not think I'm a weirdo because I believe what the Bible says is true. To me, being a Christian was always something that was going to make life harder. I became a Christian in Manhattan I've always been in the minority of people reacting. That's weird. A lot of cultural dynamic is an adjustment of Christians coming to terms. But the answer isn't, now that we're not in charge anymore, we're going to take our marbles and go home, or now that we're not getting our way, we're out of here. The response should be, maybe we need to be talking about these issues differently. Maybe there is a way to engage and serve people. And that all starts with meekness. You see, meekness helps me not worry about ourselves, myself. You call me weird? That's fine, because I'm not so self-absorbed 
I'm not so sensitive that if you call me weird, I'm going to melt right there in front of you, or I'm going to get irritated, or I'm going to be scared to say anything. And meekness also allows us to engage people with confidence. It allows us to engage people appropriately with the truth, but not being judgmental. We can share the truth and should share the truth without being judgmental. That's the call of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, speaking the truth in what? In love. We can speak the truth in love. Now, that verse says you need to speak the truth in love. You can't be silent all the time. You better stand up for what you believe. Meekness doesn't mean I'm silent. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow up. We will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with what? Gentleness and respect. You don't have to blow people away with your spiritual pride. Do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You see, when we take our shotgun of truth out and blow people away, they can say, "Eh, I don't ever want to listen to that guy again. When we speak the truth in love, when we do it in a way that is gentle, as Scripture says, now we have an audience. Or if not that day, we may have an audience the next day or a month later or a year later when that person goes to a difficult time. Spiritual pride will chokes the death, uh, will choke you to death. Here's a second one. Happy are the meek. Because they are like Jesus. Would anyone consider Jesus weak? I don't think so. Anyone consider Jesus kind of kind of wishy-washy? I don't think so. Would anyone uh, charge Jesus of this? You know, when he's with this group, when he's with this group, here's what he says. And then when he's with another, he's like a chameleon. And then he's with another group, that's what he says. He changes, the, he changes what he says. Would anyone say that to Jesus? Not at all. And Jesus is the epitome of speaking the truth in love. He is the epitome of responding with gentleness and respect. He is the epitome of meekness, the epitome of strength under control. The power of the eternal God harnessed in a body of man. And Scripture describes Jesus as gentle and humble. The prophet Isaiah calls him the suffering servant, going to be led like a lamb to slaughter. But he didn't open his mouth because that was God's purpose for him. Zechariah foretold the way Jesus was going to enter into Jerusalem in that last week of his life. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king is coming, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus doesn't describe, do much self-description of himself, but here he does in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take your yoke, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am what? 
I'm meek. I'm gentle. And I'm humble in heart. And when you do that, you're going to find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Later on, the apostle Peter would describe Jesus this way. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. So what's this example that Jesus left for us? Well, he committed no sin, no deceit was, in, was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Here's the example. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You see, you don't have to make everything right. You don't have to retaliate against those who have hurt you. You can entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. That's the example that Jesus left us. But we don't like that, do we? We want to get back at people. We want to make sure they get, we get our pound of flesh. Meekness says, I'm going to entrust myself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. Following the leader Following Jesus is the call of the Christian life. He is our Savior and He is our Lord. He's our Savior, so we should be thankful for what He has done. He is our Lord, so we should be submissive to Him. And when we do that, Jesus says, we are going to inherit the earth. Now, what's Jesus mean, inherit the earth? I heard one person say one time, the meek will inherit the earth because they'll be too shy to turn it down. Uh, but uh, that's not, that is not what Jesus is saying here. Again, strength under control. What does that mean? It means two things. First of all, our inheritance is coming. I, I don't know what this is going to look like. I have no idea. But one day we are going to rule and reign with Christ. First Corinthians 6.2, do you not know the Lord's people will judge the world. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. Here's a trustworthy saying If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. I don't know what that's going to look like. But one day, we are going to rule and we're going to reign with Christ. We are co heirs with him. That day, the inheritance will be full. But in the meantime, it's not bad. Because we have right now this inheritance. We have everything we need to do what God is calling us to do. We have all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. We can live a life that's significant, secure, accepted, forgiven, and empowered. That's the inheritance we have now. In 2 Corinthians, Paul was talking about the challenges of the Christian life. Listen to what he says. He says, we live, 2 Corinthians 6, 8 through 10, we live through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich. And then check this out, having what? Nothing and yet possessing what? everything. Isn't that great? That's the inheritance. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who keep their strength contained, harnessed, 
Blessed are those who realize that they need to trust in Jesus Christ because they're spiritual beggars. They mourn their sin. They demonstrate what it really looks like to live for God. They are humble before God, and they stay meek before others because they will inherit the earth. They have all the spiritual blessings they need right now, and then it even gets better. One more thing. Happy are the meek because they are committed to obedience. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, meekness or gentleness or humility equals obedience. Meekness says, God, you are God and I am not. You know what's best for me. I have this instruction of yours, this love letter of yours. I'm going to read it every day because I want to hear from you. I want to read it. I want to understand it. And then I want to do it. Because I don't want to be like the person in James who reads the Word, hears the Word, but doesn't do it. I want to live in obedience. I can't be perfect, but by your Holy Spirit living within me, you empower me to live a life that pleases you. And I desire to do that. I desire to obey. At the end of the day, meekness is obedience in every aspect of our life. Not pick and choose, but every aspect. Isaiah 66, 2 says this, These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. There's an awe of God's word. This is his love letter to us, and we want to do what it says. The biblical concept of meekness is submission to God, obedience. When I submit myself to God's word, I am demonstrating true humility. I am saying it's not about me, it's not about my wants, it's not about my needs, it's not about my satisfaction, it's not about my external happiness. I want to do what you want me to do even when it's hard. I want to do what you want me to do even when I don't want to do it. Humble obedience is not lip service, it's not just talking a good game, it is doing what God has called us to do. Happy are the meek for they get it all. Humility is described in Philippians 2 in a very um, penetrating way. I want to read this before we take communion. Philippians chapter 2, many of you familiar with this, chapter 2, let me begin in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Anyone else find that hard? Each one of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. Anyone else find that difficult? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, okay? So now I'm a Christian. I'm called to have an attitude, an inward being, the same as Christ Jesus. What did Christ's attitude look like? Because that's what I'm called to do. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he what? He humbled himself and became obedient to death. And Paul can't stop there. It wasn't just death. Even death on a cruel, painful 
humiliating, shameful cross. And therefore God exalted him. Because he did that, God exalted him. Gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Every knee will, tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. That's the attitude of Christ that we need to have.